To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, to John chapter 14. We are in the upper room and before us the following words and actions of Jesus in the final hours before He's arrested, tried, and crucified. As you look at John chapter 14, notice the first phrase found in verses 1 and also in verse 27. Jesus says to His disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Those six simple words offered great hope to our Lord's disciples in a hopeless hour. Were their hearts troubled? Well, certainly. Jesus has just told them of His impeding death yet again. They had just learned that one of their number is going to portray, betray Jesus into the hands of the enemy. Even Simon Peter has just been notified that he will deny Jesus some three times before the morning comes. Yes, their hearts were heavy with sorrow and burdened with grief and with many questions. Yet even in the hour of his greatest trial, Jesus still loved his own and reached out to them to comfort them and to encourage them. So let us hear the Word of God as we follow Jesus to the Father. This is John chapter 14. I'll begin reading at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to Him, Lord, we do not know where You are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. If you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. From now on you do know Him, and you have seen Him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Let us pray. Dear Father, we rest our hearts and still our souls in the majesty of Your presence. We thank You for the Word this tremendous gift, and thank You that it is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our way. We pray tonight for help because we cannot understand it apart from the blessing of Your Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come down and shine a light upon the Scriptures and upon our minds and hearts. 
Help us to learn and cause us to see afresh the glory and greatness of the love of Jesus for us. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. There are two questions asked in our verses this evening. One by Thomas and one implied by Philip that prompted Jesus to ask several questions in response. The answers to these questions serve the purposes of the Gospel. John writes this Gospel in order that we might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing in Him that we might have life in His name. And these questions from Thomas and Philip, they serve that end in a remarkable way. If we listen carefully, in the context of what Jesus is saying here in the upper room, we'll discover a central theme that is emerging. It's a theme that is meant to be the way of comfort for the disciples of Jesus Christ. And those disciples include you and me. We always need to know the depths in the depths of our soul that our Father in heaven cares for us profoundly. That we have a heavenly Father who cares for us to provide a way of salvation. It's profound love. But first, let's consider the question of Thomas. And then listen to how Jesus responds. Jesus has just said, and you know the way where I am going. And the question comes to us in verse 5, where Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, Thomas is often portrayed, probably rightly so, as a pessimist, as someone who is, by temperament, a little gloomy. He sees the glass as always half empty. So here's Thomas implying by his question, Jesus, it is good for you to say that you're going to the Father, but we don't know the way. We don't know the way to the Father. How can we know? And Jesus responds with this great I am statement that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, I am the way to the Father. I am the truth of the Father. I am the life that the Father bestows. Jesus is letting us know that there is only one plan of salvation for all men and women. He declares Himself to be the only access to God for any man. He goes beyond that revelation and says that He is, in fact, the very physical representation of Almighty God. Boiled down to its very simplest terms, Jesus is the only means of salvation for all of humanity. Thomas Akempis, the author of the book, The Imitation of Christ, puts it this way, Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no living. This is a narrow view of, in our day and time. Yet it is the truth of our God that is taught by the Bible that the Scripture makes it clear that there is but one way for all men to see their God in heaven. That way is through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. We know here that Jesus blazed the trail from earth to heaven so that sinners might come to Him by faith and be saved, following Him to the Father. What Jesus declares in the upper room, Paul affirms in 1 Timothy, for there is one God, 
There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So one question is this. Why do we need a mediator? Why do we need someone to give a ransom to set us free? And the answer, my dear friends, is that there is a vast gulf between holy God and sinful man that is caused by Adam's fall in the garden. The severity of Adam's choice to disobey God in the garden caused the judgment of God to pass upon Adam and all of Adam's posterity. Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through him, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For as in Adam all die, so also though in Christ shall all be made alive. We need God Himself, who alone is perfect and sinless and utterly holy to become a man, to fulfill perfectly all the righteousness that we need to have before a holy God, but on our behalf. We need Jesus Christ, the God-man, to redeem us from sin, to reconcile our relationship with our Father in heaven. Jesus Christ redeems us by the sacrifice of His own blood. He rescues us by His triumphal death and glorious resurrection from all the enslaving power of sin, death, and Satan. We cannot... Rescue ourselves, nor redeem ourselves. There is no other way to God except through Jesus, His Son. The moment any of us try to bypass Jesus Christ to get to God, we have attempted to mediate our own course to heaven. Yet praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now this night, as we think of Jesus' pending suffering, we also ask the question, well, what does Christ's work upon the cross accomplish for us as the redeemed? Well, first, Christ has removed the enmity between God and us by the sacrifice of His own life. Our actual guilt and lawful condemnation have been judiciously satisfied through the justifying work of our Savior. Therefore, Paul exclaims, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, for those who were once enemies, Jesus has reconciled you and we come into a holy relationship with the living God as His adopted children. And because you are sons, the Bible tells us that God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So one huge question this night is, do you know Jesus as the mediator between you and the Father, even between you and eternal life? Unless you have trusted Christ alone as the only way to the Father, you are still dead in your sin and in need of a Savior. So hear Jesus' voice. 
come to Him and trust in Christ. Live forevermore. Yet there is a second implied question here, this time from Philip. It comes as a statement, yet Jesus rephrases Philip's statement into a few questions. Note how Philip puts it in verse 8. Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. It seems to be a disarming request to Christ. It's as if he's saying, Lord, just show us the Father. Lord, just give us a little glimpse of the Father. That's all we need. That's all we ask. Now, Philip seems to be rather quiet. He's a deeply spiritual member of the disciples. And yet Jesus receives Philip's quandary with apparent disappointment because of all these questions he begins to ask. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What an extraordinary thing to say. Jesus goes on to say in verse 10, Do you not believe that I am, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Family, this is so extraordinary. The Son in the Father. The Father in the Son. It's a portrait of communion and fellowship. It means that the Son and the Father together with the Holy Spirit, oh, they occupy the same space. Where one is, the other is also. They are constantly moving towards each other and around each other. There's tremendous love in this fellowship. It's vastly beyond two people in love. But there is an illustration. When two people are in love, they gaze into one another's eyes and somehow become a little lost. As it were, two people in love concentrate all of their energies upon each other. That's the kind of picture that is emerging here. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, there's an eye-to-eye contact. There's face-to-face communion. And the Father, the Son's love, though it's pure beyond anything that we can really understand. But the good news is that no one knows the Father like the Son knows the Father. And no one knows the Son like the Father knows the Son. And listen to this, parents. Children can ask the most disarming questions sometimes, like, what is God like? Well, the best and most biblical answer to that question is God is like Jesus. God the Father is like Jesus because Jesus reveals what God is like. There is nothing that is in Jesus that isn't in God. And how can we know the Father? Jesus makes it clear here. He says in verse 10, that the words that I say to you, I do not speak of on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Jesus is telling us that I speak the Father's words. So not only does Jesus echo the Father's word, He reveals, though, here the Father's works. We can ask, what is the Father's purpose in this world? And the signs in John's Gospel point us to what the Father is like and what He is doing in our midst. He is to restore one who was blind so that he may see. He is to raise one who has died in order that he might live. He is to heal one who has been crippled in order that he might walk. Jesus is saying very clearly 
that when you come to know me, you come to know the Father. Jesus takes us by the hand and he introduces us to his Father in heaven. It says, if Jesus leads us in the Father's presence and says, Father in heaven, let me introduce Clay to you. Let me introduce Evan to you. Let me introduce Terry to you. Let me introduce Daniel to me. We are coming into the presence of God the Father through Jesus the Son. And Jesus is saying to Philip and the rest of his disciples, when you come to know me, I am introducing you to the very heart of my Father in heaven to know you as his sons, as his daughters. So we have a few closing questions as we prepare to come to the table. Who is Jesus to you in the depths of your soul? When you find yourself in trouble, when you find yourself in distress, when you find yourself overtaken by all kinds of trials, will you run to God and say, My Father in heaven, Abba, Father, I know you. You know me. Jesus has led the way. Now, there are two consequences to that question, to the answer to that question. One is the possibility that you might miss them altogether. As Jesus questioned Philip, have I been with you so long and still you don't know? Or could you be in human relationships with those who believe and who share the gospel and still not know the way to the Father through Christ? And in that consequence, again, Jesus is calling. Come to Me. Believe in Me. Follow Me to the Father. Trust Me for your salvation. And yet there's a second possible consequence as you answer this question, and this is very good. Jesus is saying in the context, follow Me to the Father, for I do not want you to be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. It's fascinating. The same word here is used as has been used of Jesus' trouble. Now, Jesus is not speaking of trouble caused by sin, although sometimes our trouble may cause us to be sinful. Yet the trouble that He's describing here is just part of living in this fallen world. And Jesus Himself says by His own heart, His own spirit is troubled because He faces a horrific night and a not-so-good Friday. He is troubled. And yet the key is, is the reason why we don't have to be troubled ourselves is because Jesus has been troubled for us. He's taken our trouble on His own heart. He's taking our troubles upon His own soul that we need not be troubled, but rather trust in Him in all the difficulties of life. And Jesus says that the way out of your trouble is to come to know a Father in heaven who cares for you, who loves you, who cares enough to send Jesus to die for you, to go to the cross, to walk in the fires of trouble for you and with you. And there are two more quick questions, or answers are very straightforward. Beyond wondering who Jesus is to you in the depths of your soul this night, Where is Jesus this day? 
Well, He's at the right hand of God, gazing into the loving eyes of His Father. And Jesus says, that's where I'm going to bring you. And from here, I am interceding for you that you may also gaze into the Father's eyes. And then the final question is, where are you tonight? You have no need to be troubled because Jesus is with you. He will come again to receive you unto Himself. May we always be a people that would follow Him to the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Son. We thank, we thank You for the overwhelming love that sent Him into this world. Holy Spirit, we pray, draw us now to intimacy with God the Father through Jesus the Son. For indeed, we embrace our Savior as the way, the truth, and the life. We thank You, Lord, that He paid the ransom price to set us free. That He died the just for the unjust to bring us to You. And He did that for me. He did this for His people. We bring You our thanks from the depths of our hearts. In the name of our Savior we pray, Amen.